Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody. Welcome to our Bible study, Culture Shock. We'll be sure and get you out in time to go home and watch the Rangers win the World Series tonight. So, you know, I've not got to say that many times in my life, but there I finally do now. So, anyway, good to see you. We're to 1 Peter chapter 3 tonight. A lot of material to get to, so we'll jump in and get started. Let's have a word of prayer. God, I want to thank you tonight for your word. Your word is life, it is truth, it's instruction to us. And Father, no matter how, how long ago it was written, it's alive, it's active, it's sharp. And I just pray tonight that we'll listen to the instruction that you have to say to us and be people that you want us to be. God, we love you, we thank you, and I pray tonight the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, First Peter chapter 3. If I don't get in trouble tonight, it's going to be a miracle. It's on wives submitting to husbands and husbands' relationship to wives. And so this will be fun from chapter 3 of Peter, verses 1 through 7. First of all, letter A on your outline, the background. Remember again, Peter was writing to a group of Gentile believers in Asia Minor, just south of the Black Sea. It's about 63 AD, addressing with them, how do you live for Jesus in a culture that is hostile to the faith. So in the midst of this letter explaining those things, he has a section starting in chapter 2, verse 13, that goes through 3, 7. And this section begins to address how do believers relate to people over them in authority. How do you relate as a believer under the authority of someone else? So that's what these three sections are about. And what he basically says is, your faith in Jesus is revealed by the way you respond when somebody's in authority over you. Some of us kind of bristle at that. We don't like it. Uh, But really your faith shows in how you respond when somebody's over you, over you in authority. Uh, I've talked about Martin Luther. He called this section Hostophone, which means table talk in German, sitting around the table, practically here are some things that you need to know. Two verses, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, how do you submit to a hostile government that is hostile to the Christian faith? You obey, you pray, and you honor government officials. Remember, we talked about that two weeks ago. Then last week, chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, How do slaves submit to masters? And we talked about what it means for employees relating to employers, uh, you to a superintendent or to to a boss in some way, believers to anyone who has authority over us. So those are the first two sections. You know, government and then slaves to masters. And this final section, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, how do wives relate to husbands And how do husbands relate to one another? Now, don't you find this a little odd? Think about it. What does the privacy of a home have to do with relating to culture? So you think about it. Well, that's the privacy of a home. It really doesn't relate. But Peter said it did. That the privacy of a home and how you relate to your husband and how you relate to your wife has an impact upon your faith in culture and your witness in culture publicly. 
So he addresses chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, wives and husbands. Now, it would be unusual in the culture of the day, put yourself in the minds of living on the Black Sea in Asia Minor, you're a small Christian church there, you're Gentiles, you're not Jews. It would be uh, unusual to have a topic like this in a letter written to you. And the reason it would be unusual is because the women of the day in that culture were not valued as we value women in our culture. Women are considered equals in our culture. In that day, they were not. They did not have many rights. Women in that culture followed the religion of their husbands. No questions asked. Whatever the husband was, you were. Whatever the religion. Now, some women could have other gods on the side. And husbands were fine with that. Not all husbands were. Some husbands were fine with a wife having a side faith side cult or a side god that you worshipped, but not all of them. So Peter clearly focuses this address on women whose husbands are not Christians and addresses them as women, as independent moral agents whose decision in turn to Christ he supports and whose goal to win their husbands he encourages. But what he said was revolutionary for the day. It's not to us, but it was to them. So let's listen to what he said. We're going to kind of look at it very carefully, what he said to wives and husbands. First of all, let her be on your outline characteristics of a godly wife. The first thing you notice is he spent six verses on wives and one verse on husbands. You know Why? No, there's not a smart answer coming here. It's the reason is probably there were more women in the church than men that he's writing. Probably it was full of women who had unbelieving husbands. And the church didn't have very many uh, husbands uh, that, that had you know, wives that were unbelieving or, or they, of course, had followed their faith or had a side God. Most of, it, most of them probably were women. Notice also he didn't address children, whereas Paul did. So it's just wives mostly and husbands. That's probably the reason why. Let's look at what he says to the women. First of all, verse 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of of their wives. Let's stop there for a moment and look at this verse. Peter discusses the husband-wife relationship, doesn't mention children. Whenever a woman in the first century became a Christian, there were a lot of questions she had to answer. One was, do I, do I leave my husband? Because he's not a believer. Another question was, do I change my behavior around him if I stay with him. So these type of questions were questions that they asked. And so he starts off by saying likewise. Likewise what? If somebody were to say to you, well, likewise, you're, wait, wait, what, what went first? What, what precipitates the word likewise? So think back what we just talked about. We talked about how you relate to the government. We talked about 
how slaves submit to masters. So likewise, in the same way, in the same way you're to submit to government, in the same way you submit to masters, in the same way wives submit to husbands. As Jesus submitted to the Father. Remember the last, very last thing we talked about last Wednesday night, chapter 2, verses 21-24? We ended with Jesus being submissive to God. So, wives, your example is Jesus, who submitted to God. So, Peter was talking about the relationship of the wives to the husbands, not wives to men in general. So, he's not saying, all women submit to men. I'm not saying that. He was saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Many Christians today really don't follow Peter's words. They believe in what's called an egalitarian position, which means everybody's equal, everybody's equal in authority. It's a different day, it's a different culture. So what Peter said in that culture really doesn't apply to us. And so I've heard that, I've heard that apply to this passage but the only, only thing to me is that I think you take the word for what it says. I think you take the word of God for what it says. You consider absolutely the culture. But there was nothing that seemed to be that this did not relate to any culture that follows. He doesn't seem to make it culturally bound. Now notice what he said. Likewise, wives, likewise, wives be subject. The word is hypotasso in Greek. It is a military term. It means to line up under your rank. It's a very strong word. It's the word submit. Now, it has the force of an imperative. It's not imperative. The construction gives it the force of an imperative, and it involves continuing action. So, wives, you're not to submit once at the wedding and no more. It's a continuing action. The word submit is a very strong word in Greek. The word denotes either voluntary or forced behavior, but it does not infer inferiority. It does not mean the woman is inferior to the man. Submitting does not mean he's better than you. It means you have a different role than he does. Jesus submitted to his parents, Mary and Joseph, and he was not inferior to them at all. He was, in fact, superior. But he submitted to them, honored them. And if Jesus can submit, so can we. It wasn't just a a submission of actions. It was a submission of attitude as well. Because sometimes we can submit, but not really like it. And not really want to. Your actions are submissive, but your attitude's not. Hypotasso was a submission of actions and heart. Both. And if you think about it, submission is all through Scripture. Jesus submitted to his parents. Demons submitted to the disciples. 
citizens submit to the government, the universe submits to Jesus, unseen spiritual beings submitted to Jesus, Christians submit to church leaders, Christians submit to one another, uh, the church submits to Jesus, servants submit to masters, Christians submit to God. All of these have verses that, that back them up, and so submission is a theme all the way through Scripture. Peter did not state why wives are to submit to their husbands. It would have been good if he'd said, so that, but he doesn't. He just says, hypotasso. Nor did he give us reasons why we should submit to government. I wish he would have. Here's the reason you submit to government. He didn't tell us that. Or he didn't tell us why slaves should submit to masters. He doesn't tell us why. He just says, this is God's will. Period. But you know, for any of us, if something is God's will... That should be enough reason for us, shouldn't it? I mean, if God says, this is my will for you, okay. Do I have to say, why? You remember as a kid, you'd do that to parents and say, why? And it just always was a spirit that kind of was defiant a little bit. Now, in other places in Scripture, it gives a reason why. Peter didn't. God so ordered the human race, is what Paul said, that we must observe the structure of authority that he's placed over us, so that peace and order may prevail and that we learn how to submit to God. Because if we do not submit to others on earth, we will never learn to submit to God. A wife that does not submit to her husband will have trouble submitting to God period, because that's the order God established. Now, pastor, what if my husband is not worthy of my submission? Well, go back two Wednesday nights ago. He didn't say anything about the government being worthy of your submission. In fact, Nero was anything but worthy of our submission or their submission. So, their worthiness didn't come into play. Pastor, what if my husband is not the spiritual leader of the home like he's supposed to be? Well, these were lost husbands right here. Peter does not put qualifications on his command. Well, Pastor, what if my husband's lost? Well, he's about to get to that, verses 1 and 2. Pastor, what if, what if my husband commands me to go against what God has commanded me to do? Very simple. He gave us that principle two weeks ago with the government. If the government commands you to do something God has commanded you not to do, you obey God rather than the government. If your husband commands you to do something different than what God has commanded you to do, you obey God. Very simple. So, we obey God rather than than man, but we submit to the authorities that he's placed over us. Look at the next phrase. So that, in verse 1, that even if some do not obey the word, that's a way of saying if they're lost. The word meant the salvation word. 
So if some do not even obey the word that they're lost, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. The word won there, cardano in Greek, it means to be gained or acquired, gained into the kingdom, acquired into the kingdom because of the wives' actions. So many wives out there want to change their husbands. They want them to be more godly. They want them to be more spiritual. Okay, here's how you do it. I'm asked very frequently, what do I do, Pastor? I want my husband to come to know the Lord. I want my husband to be more godly, to be the spiritual leader of our home. He won't do it. How do I do that? Very simple. Paul told us, it's your conduct. It's not your words. It's your actions. Now notice what he says. A wife's submission is a powerful tool that God uses. It shows she trusts God. That's what it shows. She trusts the Lord. Notice without a word. It's, it's not what the wife says to her husband as much as it is her daily conduct around him that will be the loudest witness. Not her lectures, but her actions. Not that Peter was forbidding the wife to speak to her husband about the faith. He's not saying that. He's not saying, never say a word about Jesus. He's just saying, your most effective witness is not going to be arguing him into the kingdom or lecturing him into the kingdom. Your greatest most effective witness is a submissive, godly life. Your conduct, way more influential than your words. In fact, sometimes words might be counterproductive and hurt even more than they help. Peter had in mind a lost husband who could be won to Christ by the conduct of a saved wife. Peter didn't promise a lost husband to be saved. He just said, your conduct will most likely show him Jesus in the best way. I know some of you remember Jack Schmidt, our pastor's uh, testimony he was saved at 40 years old, and Gwen, his wife, was saved just a couple of years before that. Around, I think she was 38, and she got saved, and Jack didn't like it. And remember his testimony, how he just gave her fits over it? She never, she never said a word. He said, her conduct won me to Christ two years later. And there are a lot of kind of examples like that. It's the conduct. Wayne Grudem said... The husband can see the behavior of the wife, perceive the beauty of it deep down, and is drawn to the Lord. So a woman can be assured that she's pleasing to God and obedient to God by submitting to her husband and the actions that follow or witness. Now look at verse 2. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. The word pure there is interesting. Hagnos. It, it originally was a word used only of the gods back in those days. 
And then it slowly became applied to humans. And Peter uses that word to describe a wife that submits and has wonderful character. That's how her husband views her. Dr. Constable said submission involves four areas. An attitude of entrusting yourself to God. Number two, it requires respectful behavior. He said nagging or anger is not respectful behavior. Three, he said, it means the development of godly character. And four, it means doing what is right. So, a wife can do one of two things if her husband's lost. She can trust her own ability to lead him to Jesus. Or she can submit to God and let her conduct Lead him to Jesus. Peter said the latter is more effective. Look at verse 3. Do not let your adorning um, be external. The braiding or the plating of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning, where it means to wrap, your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. The word hidden there, cryptos. We get the word cryptic from it. The cryptos portion of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. Now look at verses 3 and 4. Interesting what he said. Peter was not telling the wives to refrain from giving attention to their physical appearance. He's not saying that. He's not saying you're wrong if you wear makeup. Wrong if you fix your hair. Wrong if you wear nice clothes. Wrong if you wear jewelry. He didn't say all that. Now, the holiness and the Pentecostal movement, they take this verse to mean that. That women should not wear makeup. They should not cut their hair. They should put it up. They wear the long clothes to be modest. And, and so you'll, you'll still see that a lot because they take this verse literally. That's not what Peter was talking about. In Peter's day... Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't talking that they should look Amish or like Quakers or anything like that. He said their primary concern should be the inner, not the outward. Now, in Peter's day, here's what was happening. Women were dressed gaudy. I mean, they had gaudy makeup. They had, they had uh, uh, jewelry on fingers and toes and necks and wrists and ankles. And they had chains and rings and bra- everywhere. They wore r- flashy robes. That's why the word adorning means to wrap flashy robes, uh, they wore wigs, very elaborate wigs that were startling. It kind of just <laughs> would startle you when you saw it. The wigs were so elaborate. Wigs that were made, handmade, uh, blonde wigs, handmade from Germany. Or the, uh, Germany, what is Germany today, was the most, uh, uh, in that, that day, most popular. Thinking that made them attractive. So the more gaudy they became, the more attractive they thought they were. So, Peter is saying your primary concern should be the heart, not the outside. Not that you don't put makeup on or fix your hair, nothing like that. He's not saying that. He's just saying your primary concern should be the inside, not the outside. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. So, Peter urged the cultivation of the inner person. 
Beauty is more than skin deep. We know that. We've heard that. Human society values the outer beauty. God values inner beauty. Real beauty is not something you wear. Real beauty is something you are. Not something you fix up, not something you put on, not something you dress about. It's something that you are. The outer beauty will fade. The inner beauty never gets old, never fades, is always beautiful till the day you die. The word imperishable there is interesting. Apthartos is the word which means no death. So on the inside, your inner beauty never gets old, never fades. Outwardly, we do look differently outwardly. Inwardly, never get old, never fade, never die. So if you're going to emphasize one of the two, emphasize the inner beauty. And then he said, a gentle disposition, wives, and a peaceable spirit will make even a plain woman very attractive to others and to God. Now, the word adorning there is the word, Greek word cosmos, not the word cosmos like world, but the word cosmos, we get the, our word cosmetics from it. The adorning, the cosmetic is not the, it's what God values the most. It is the quiet and the gentle spirit. Now, let me say a word about that for a moment. Whenever Peter wrote in this culture to have a gentle and a quiet spirit, he was writing against everything the culture valued. Culture in that day did not value gentle and meek or quiet. That angered them. Paganism did not value meekness or quiet. It despised the person that was not masterful, that did not assert themselves, and did not make other people bow to them. If you were quiet and gentle and meek, Oh, they, that angered them. Culture hated it. You need, to, you need to stand up for yourself. You need, to, you need to make people bow to you. You need to be the master of your own fate. By the way, we still see that out there in culture some today, don't we? But boy, that culture, meek and gentle, no. It hated it. And Jesus came along. What was he? Gentle meek, peaceable, lowly. And so he elevated that. He elevated meekness and lowliness and a gentle spirit. And then he said, wives, as you have that, that in God's sight is very precious. The word he uses there is very interesting. It's a combination word of polos and telos, and he combined them together, which meant great price. If something is valuable in the eyes of God, it's when wives have a gentle, quiet spirit. In God's eyes, he loves it. Now go to verses 5 and 6. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. The word submitting is already used twice. Verse 6, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now let's look at those two verses, two interesting verses. Peter's concern, verse 5, was not that the church would be known for having rebellious wives with an attitude of superiority. But the church, he felt like, would have the greatest witness. Wives who submitted to God and their spirit reflected that. Here's what one theologian said. A woman can trust her own ability to influence and control her husband, or she can trust God and be submissive. A woman can trust her outward beauty and adornment, or she can trust God and cultivate a quiet and gentle spirit. It all comes back to trusting in God. He's who makes us what we are. And isn't it interesting that Peter used Sarah as an example? Think of all the godly women in the Old Testament he could have used. Oh my goodness, there are a bunch of them. He could have used Ruth. Um, he could have used Rahab's faith, her spirit to submit to, to, to the God of Israel. You can just go down the list of women he could have used. And he chose Sarah, Abraham's wife. And then he said, if you do this, ladies, you are the child of Sarah's. What? Well, remember, Abraham was called the father of Israel, so he used that same analogy that Sarah then would be the, the mother of women who were submitting to their wives, uh, or their husbands. And then he shows in two ways she did that. Number one, she called him Lord. Now, Lord could be one of two things. Capital L means God. Small case L means Sir. It just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a title of respect is all. So she wasn't calling him Lord. She was simply it was the same as sir. Now, that doesn't mean that wives are supposed to call their husband sir. doesn't mean that. It just meant that she showed a spirit of respect in the way she talked to him. She showed a spirit of respect in the way that she talked because she respected God first. Now, Peter's argument is from the greater to the lesser. If Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord, then the Christian wives in Asia Minor should at least treat their husbands with respect in their speech, in the way they talk to them. So Peter, using Sarah and Abraham in their example in their in the, in the Old Testament as an example, she submitted to a Abraham. Here's the second way: even when he was wrong, you remember that. He said, Let, "Let's tell Pharaoh that you're my sister," and she did. That was wrong. But who was called on the carpet for it? Her? No. Abraham. He was responsible for the decisions. 
she submitted. So you can obey someone without showing them honor. True submission, according to Peter, is showing honor as you submit. And then he said, if you do, you do good. Submitting and honoring is doing good. And then he adds the last phrase, verse 6, and do not fear anything that is frightening. What did he mean by that? He was saying, if a, if a Christian wife suffered for her faith because of her conduct to her husband, because of submitting to her husband, she could at least gain confidence by doing what Peter said, knowing that God would honor her for it. So, she would have no fear if she submitted to her husband. She would have no need to fear even if the women of her culture treated her with disdain for submitting to her husband. Or she would have no need to fear even if pagan husbands resented their Christian faith. Okay, she's doing what God has called her to do, what she's been commanded to do. No need to fear. They may get angry, I may be treated differently, but I'm doing as God said, and God will bless that. Now, last 12 minutes, it's husbands. Verse 7, letter C on your outline, characteristics of a godly husband. It's only one verse, but it's ever bit as powerful as what he told the wives. Likewise, there's that word again, husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Oh boy, let's look at this. Verse 7. I already mentioned about... um, Probably the reason why there were more wives who in, in, the, in the congregation, that's why he spent more time. Christian wife married to a pagan husband was really in a more vulnerable position. Because in that day, if a woman caught, a, if a woman caught her husband with another woman, she couldn't do anything about it. Just put up with it. If a woman caught her, hus- with her, her wife with another man... He could kill her on the spot, legally. Just kill her right there and go on. So women didn't really have much of a recourse. But Peter elevates it and says, Likewise wives, likewise husbands. They have a role, you have a role. Culture in that day would have said, Nah, you don't have a role, man. Peter says, in God's eyes, you do. Likewise, same as the wife, same as submitting to governing authorities, same as submitting to slaves to masters, same as wives submitting to husbands. Husbands, here's your job. Live with your wives in an understanding way. The word wives there is interesting. It's a rare word. It's not the usual word for wife. It literally means feminine one. So, one theologian said the feminine nature of the wife should prompt the husband to treat her with special consideration. Peter's first instruction to us husbands was to think 
the right way about your wife. Cultivate understanding. It's a brief command, but has a lot of implications, and it is a tall order. Cultivate understanding. Listen, know her, be aware of emotions, personality, thought patterns. Not just understand her, but understand her and and live with her in an understanding way. In other words, use the understanding that you gain from paying attention to her to live with her in that way. The understanding you gain, let that influence how you live with her. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, the on, on, not honoring the weaker vessel, showing honor as the weaker vessel. Peter is not saying that as the weaker vessel, the wife is inferior to the husband. He's not saying that. He's, and, and nor is he saying that she's to be used like a vessel because he calls himself a vessel. He's, she's the weaker vessel. So he wasn't saying that she's inferior. Some say that by weaker, Peter was implying that the man was stronger physically than the woman. Some say, no, it meant she, he's stronger emotionally. Some say, no, it meant that he was stronger socially in that culture. Maybe. Thus, men are to treat wives with special consideration. That was radical for the day. Pastor did not, did Peter have a wife when he was writing this? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 9, 5 says he did. Now, we don't know whether she was still alive or not during this time. She might have been. But he had a wife. He's married. But notice the next phrase. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So that one phrase, one theologian said that one phrase strikes down any thought that a woman's inferior to a man. That one phrase. She is a, it's an heir with you. Wives are every bit a fellow heir of God's grace as our husbands. God deals with both of us the same. God shows no partiality toward one gender over another. We are spiritual equals. Men, she is not just your wife. She's your sister in Jesus. She's co-heirs with grace. You're both saved. You're both God's children if you're saved. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Peter doesn't say it, Paul does, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. And love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself on the cross for her, willing to die for her. You know, I would think it would be easier to submit to a man who's willing to die for you, wouldn't you? The wife is never to feel like an employee. She's never to live under a tyrant. She is to live with someone who's a co-heir of grace with her. But look at the last phrase. This is, this is powerful. Verse 6, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, 
me and listen for a second. According to Peter, the husband who does not treat his wife with honor will not get his prayers answered. Disobedience to the will of God regarding how a man treats his wife hinders the husband's fellowship with God. You cannot be right with God if you're not right with your wife. Now, wives, it didn't say that to you. It didn't say if you don't submit, your prayers won't be heard. You are to submit because it's of great price to God. But man, it does tell us that if we do not treat our wives right, God won't listen to you. Linsky says, a husband who treats his wife in the wrong way is unfit for prayer anyway. Spurgeon says, anything that hinders your prayer is wrong, really wrong. So get rid of it. The word hindered there is the word in Greek, it's enkopto. Kopto means to cut. Enkopto means to cut off. So get this picture. Men, you get down on your knees and you start praying for something, but you don't treat your wife right. And as soon as you start praying, God says, hold it, cut it off. I'm not listening anymore to you. Do you really want that? Do you really want to be in a state of God not listening to your prayers? I don't. So, as the closest human relationship, the relationship to one's spouse must be carefully cherished if we want a relationship with God to be strong. A husband's selfishness or egotism in marriage will hurt his relationship with God as well as his relationship with his wife. So a part of living with your wife in an understanding way is knowing her, treating her with special consideration so that God will listen when you pray. Well, that's a lot for wives and husbands both, isn't it? So we'll try to Follow up next week, starting in verse 8 of chapter 3. Let's pray together. We'll close. Father, we love you and thank you tonight. Thank you for loving us enough. God, you've given us instructions as to how to live with one another. And God, you've also given us instructions as to how to be right with you, how to be valued in your eyes as being of great price, and how to live in such a way that our prayers are unhindered. So, Lord, help us to live in that way and to please you. And as a result, be a witness to the culture in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.